Welcome to Because That's What Heroes Do, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. As you know from prior episodes, Megan Doherty, co-founder of One Stone Creative, and I are huge MCU fans. So we've decided to do the MCU movie oeuvre. That's right. We're going to do all of the MCU movies in this special podcast series. Over this series, we will take a look at the storylines, some of the cookies and other cool things. We'll describe the great action scenes from each um, episode, and then we'll take a look at issues raised by each episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. We will take things from the societal angle, from the social justice angle, from the MCU angle, and perhaps even from the compliance angle. But if you're an MCU fan or you're a compliance fan, I know you'll enjoy In this episode, we take up Ant-Man and the Wasp. Because That's What Heroes Do is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks so much for listening. As you know from prior episodes, Megan Doherty, co-founder of One Stone Creative, and I are huge MCU fans. So we've decided to do the MCU movie oeuvre That's right. We're going to do all of the MCU movies in this special podcast series. Over this series, we will take a look at the storylines, some of the cookies and other cool things. We'll describe the great action scenes from each um, episode, and then we'll take a look at issues raised by each episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. We will take things from the societal angle, from the social justice angle, from the MCU angle, and perhaps even from the compliance angle. But if you're an MCU fan or you're a compliance fan, I know you will enjoy. In this episode, Megan and I take up one of my favorites, which is the first Doctor Strange. Popcorn and Compliance, the Marvel Cinematic Universe on Popcorn and Compliance, all on the Compliance Podcast Network. Before we get started, we're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and then we will be back with Ant-Man and the Wasp. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox backing in with Megan Doherty for our continuing challenge as we review the entire MCU on popcorn and compliance. Why? Well, number one, because it's there. And number two, because, well, maybe for number three. Number two, we are both MCU geeks. But number three, we get to rewatch all the movies. Um, and uh, even my spouse has finally come around <laughs> to rewatching it for the fourth time. So we're reviewing the films as they appear in chronological order on the MCU timeline, not by release date. And today we continue with Ant-Man and the Wasp. I'm your co-host, Tom Fox, the founder of the Compliance Podcast Network and the voice of compliance. And I'm Megan Doherty, co-founder of One Stone Creative and host of the business podcast Blueprint Show. And I am not as lucky as Tom uh, because my spouse is only willing to watch one movie a quarter with me and only one of those a year can be a superhero movie. So I have to watch these alone, (laughs) but I'm still really enjoying going through this series. And I love Tom having someone to talk to about these movies. So I'm so glad we're doing this. And I think we had to go ahead. Take us take us where we need to go. I was going to say, I think we had kind of similar experiences with, uh, this is this is Ant-Man and the Wasp, so it is the second uh, Ant-Man movie, and I know I enjoyed this a lot more than I expected to. You know, what it says on the tin doesn't sound that great, but what a charming and delightful movie. 
movie. What, what, what did you think of it? Uh, I, I agree. When I uh, saw it originally, I was not uh, that impressed, but um, there was a lot in here and uh, it was fun. Just fun. fun. And so I think one of the themes I, I liked in it the most, and this kind of, it started a little bit in the first Ant-Man, but they really kind of came through it uh, in this one was the theme of unconventional but loving families. Um, so I, I adored, and I just, I wanted to watch over and over again how, uh, you know, Paul Re- Ant-Man's ex-wife with the daughter and her husband just loved him and wanted to be, we being kind to him and treating him as part of the family, even though he's under hilarious house arrest. Uh, and just then the family again of of hope and uh, and her father. I liked the unconventional families and showing how they were valuable and they could be loving and nurturing even if they weren't particularly normal. I thought that was pretty great as as a main theme. Uh, so we continued with uh, one of the great sidekicks, um, <laughs> Luis, played by Michael Pena, <clears throat> and uh, he he is not simply comic relief but just comedy. And he really brings a level of anarchy and uh, chaos. Uh, It would be uh, probably difficult to live with someone like that. But in bits and pieces in a movie, it's it's tolerable. But it's a great role, and he really plays off Scott quite well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like the whole um, kind of merry band of ex-cons working at the newly founded ex-con security agency. (laughs) It's great. Um, And I think that they, you know, the, the kind of the goofy, the silly psychics uh, ended up saving the day at the end after all of the, the deep blue hero stuff that uh, our shape-shifting, insect suit-wearing uh, heroes were doing. And there was another really interesting element to this one. There was the ghost character. Um, I admit I found some of the science uh, in this a little bit hard to follow, but um, who had been impacted badly by the quantum realm um, and was aided and abetted by former colleague... Uh, Dr. Foster, not apparently related to Jane Foster. That there? Uh, apparently not. <laughs> apparently not. I thought that was kind of a letdown. I was like, ooh, we're going to be going to get cool, cool Foster connection, but but no, we're not. Um, uh, who ultimately also uh, self-sacrificed for family, someone else's family, um, but still, still very kind. So um, that was interesting because the um, character who was the former colleague of Hank Pym, was played by Lawrence uh, Fishburne. He's so and good. he is always and shall and forever be Morpheus uh, <laughs> most of the world because of his work. And um, that series on um, The Matrix, uh, but he, when he is first introduced, his... Um, he seems to be fairly pure in terms of his morality, but it turns out it's much more complicated uh, than that. And he really, um, on the moral scale, moves far down uh, the scale around what he is willing to do Mm -hmm. uh, to help Ghost or not uh, going forward. So that was an interesting character arc for me. The... um, a couple of really fabulous pop culture references. So many. Uh, I, guess, I guess we would have to call them Easter eggs, but um, in one, they are at a drive-in movie and the movie playing is one of the top sci-fi classics from the fifties, 
called them, and in them, a nuclear explosion um, radiates uh, red ants, and they become giant ants. <laughs> so uh, that was uh, extraordinarily cool uh, to see that. But the other one was a little more obscure, but equally, I thought, uh, interesting, which was a reference to the musical group Adam and the Ants. And there was a singer in the uh, early 80s called Adam Ant. And he was um, pretty glam, like a precursor to glam, but without the really big hair, uh, but the makeup and the costume. And uh, he was an early... Uh, fan of um, MTV. So uh, I kind of grew up with MTV. It started when I was in law school, and and that's what we watched 24-7 when it first came out. <laughs> and he was on rotation quite a bit uh, because he was one of the first ones to uh, embrace it. So Adam, first it was Adam and the Ants, and then it became Adam Ant um, and Atta, Adam Ant. And if I could take it a step further back, which I don't think they intended this cultural reference, but in the 60s, there was Atom Ant. And he was a Saturday comics book, comics cartoon character. So we had Atom Ant, not Adam Ant. So uh, I thought about that as well. So uh, any cookies uh, for you in this? Absolutely tons, but mine were a, a little uh, nearer in history, so I could not get over all of the 90s references that were happening. It would just, like, I mean, that's when I was growing up in the 90s, so. Um, the Pez Dispenser, uh, the Hot Wheels, Antonio Banderas as a reference, uh, Jurassic Park, clever girl. Uh, I, them basically being Miss um, Frizzle in the Magic School Bus, zipping around from place to place. So I, I thought that was really fun. I felt like they, they slipped a lot in uh, for, for the millennials, uh, which I appreciate in a movie. Uh, the other ones I really liked, um, I thought it was just a fun little thing, is the evolution of uniforms from one MCU movie to the next. So Ghost's um, phasing outfit, her quantum suit, um, was very plainly the model for what they're going to be using later in Endgame when they're going back in time. And so that direct relationship to the the suit from the Ghost and using the Pym particles from Hank Pym, one movie to the next, I thought, excellently done. Um, and just a shout-out to the nematode zone in the quantum realm. Nematodes are my favorite uh, microbe-sized life forms. Um, <laughs> of them all, they're, they're, I think, the best, but water bears, yeah, they're so cool. Uh, and I thought it was great that they were willing to eat uh, anyone who came within their path. That seems very on brand for nematodes. It's interesting, <laughs> your Hot Wheels reference, because those actually came out in the 60s. So okay. uh, Was I had, there a TV show in the 90s about them? I don't know. They were but so I big when I was in elementary school. They were huge. When I was growing up. And that reference was extraordinarily cool. <laughs> I went from match collecting matchbox cars to Hot Wheels, <clears throat> so it was uh, a pretty cool thing. And my but sister the, collected them when when we were little. The uh, this movie was just fun, yeah. and uh, it was not fun uh, in the way that I thought Thor Ragnarok was fun. Um, this was almost a rom com in many ways, uh, and but it worked. You know, it really worked, and. Uh, so are they or aren't they, you know, um, who knows? Um, but uh, I think we both really enjoyed it at the end of the day. What were kind of your thoughts about the relationships? Well, I think uh, one of my favorites uh, was Agent Jimmy. So the secret agent um, who was in charge of Scott Lang's house arrest. Um, 
he was hysterical. Oh my gosh, he was so funny when he was talking to little Cassie and explaining, um, using completely grown-up words and syntax, but in a very nice and friendly voice, <laughs> exactly what house arrest was and why it happened. And then later at the end, when he's awkwardly not inviting Scott to dinner, but then it's like, but but do you want to get dinner? Like, I just what a great character. I absolutely adored him. Uh, and I think his relationship with the other people was, was one of my favorites. And uh, I think. You know, cool Scott and Hope, awesome, become a thing, be a great family, that's lovely. Um, but the the one that really gets me is uh, Judy Greer, Scott's ex-wife, and her new husband, and how much they love Scott and their daughter, and they're going to co-parent effectively. And I'll just, like, be really nurturing and buddies together. No other relationship can compare to that, as far as I'm concerned. Um, although I did thought, I think it was very nice that the Pims got back together. Well, what about Cassie? Cassie? Great, great kid. Hilarious. <laughs> Sassy, witty, on the ball. And uh, Hank Pym's wife was Michelle Pfeiffer. So She's no great. more need be said. No more need be said. And how great does she look gray? God, may, <laughs> may I age that well? <laughs> or she was starting from a stronger place. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, at, I think at the end we saw uh, fairly disconcerting in the preview. If I have that mm-hmm. right, uh, we get an Infinity War uh, scene at the end. So, I don't think we're giving the store away to say some bad and tough times are coming. But um, this movie really, uh, I just thought was light and funny. In now that I've We've watched these in chronological order. It makes sense to me now why they put this one here. And it does lead. We see both Ant-Man and Wasp in later movies. And I wasn't quite sure how all of that worked because I hadn't seen it chronologically Mm -hmm. before. So um, once again, you know, two thumbs up from me. And same here. Yeah, this is a great weekend movie, a great movie in the spirit of action movies of the 90s. Great to watch with the kids uh, over the weekend. So enjoy (laughs) Well, uh, we're moving towards the end, Megan, and I hope our fans will continue to join us as we explore uh, the MCU series on popcorn and compliance. Yeah, next time uh, when you hear us, we are going to be, um, you know, very close to wrapping up the end of kind of this is phase two of the MCU, but we are going to be watching and talking about Infinity War. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Because That's What Heroes Do. As Megan said, our next episode we were going to take up. In our next episode, we're moving towards the end of the original MCU series with Avengers Infinity War. I'd also like to tell you about a special podcast series that has premiered on the Compliance Podcast Network, The Corruption Files. In The Corruption Files, I'm joined by Hughes Hubbard partner Mike DeBernardis, and we take a deep dive into some of the most interesting FCPA and international anti-corruption enforcement actions over the past 15 years, which have really created the modern era of FCPA and anti-corruption enforcement. Check out The Corruption Files on the Compliance Podcast Network, Megaphone, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Because That's What Heroes Do is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.